Welcome to the Memorial Sermon Podcast. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your walk with God and drive you closer to Jesus. For more information about our church, visit mbcmetairie.org. Now, here's this week's message. Well, this morning we are going to be in Romans chapter 7, and I'm feeling a little zealous this morning, so we're going to move pretty quick. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 25. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 25. Now, as you're turning there and you're getting there in your Bible or maybe on your device, I really want to encourage you to follow along with us wherever you are, whether it be on your Bible or whether it be on a phone or a tablet or something like that. It's always important to have God's Word in front of you so you can see what I'm talking about. But as we dive into God's Word, I just kind of want to thread the needle this morning. And I want us to understand many people have experienced, you probably have experienced the first frustration of warming something up in the microwave. And when you put something in the microwave, maybe it's something that's uh, big. And so you stick it in the microwave and you pull it out and the bowl is hot. The plate is hot. Maybe the cup is hot. The outside of the food of whatever you're warming up is hot. But then you go to cut into it or maybe feed it to your family and you get into it and you find out that that middle is cold or it's chilly and you know what I'm you know you know what you do maybe you cut it up or stir it up or whatever and then you put it back in for a little while a little while longer and so many times we find ourselves in the same position today spiritually and the apostle Paul certainly did as we'll find out looking into what he says in the book of Romans but when we come to God there's these moments of uh where he he just lights a fire in us where maybe it's a quiet time that we have where, man, God just really speaks to us through his word or through a devotion. Perhaps it's a time of worship. I want you to know, even as we were coming together, I was praying with with the praise band this morning, praying for you, praying for God to fall upon our time together, saying, God, let there be a fire here today. God, warm our spirits. Let us sense your presence. Perhaps it's even been in a life group or a Bible study where you're studying God's word, you make a connection with somebody and God just speaks to you in that moment and it just feels like the the heat of his spirit you begin to feel passionate but then as that is so amazing there's also these times that are 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 so real and they they creep up on you you go to work you go to school you go through COVID-19 okay and you realize that you may have been hot or on fire for God for a period of time But in the middle, sometimes you realize there is something in me that is still cold. There's something in me that sometimes is lukewarm. And so whether it be you, whether you you snapped at your kids or whether, you know, you became a little resentful. Maybe someone got a promotion and you didn't, you know. Maybe someone said something to you. And, and, and then all along, you know, there, there's the, the daily struggles of the flesh. There's things like greed. There's things like lust and laziness. And all along, you want to have victory in Christ. But at the same time, there's, there's moments of being warm on the outside, but having that sin nature on the inside that sometimes makes us cold. And that's why I've, I've entitled my sermon today, The Struggle for victory. 
the struggle for victory because we all want, everyone is here today, you all want to be one step closer to Jesus. But how do we diagnose our inconsistencies? How, how do we diagnose that, that yes, we want to be close to Jesus, but, but it's not all the time? How do we do that? Well, I'm so glad that you asked because I want to follow Paul's train of thought and back up where he talks about God's law. That's a good starting point for us to be in. So join me, Romans chapter 7. We're going to start right here in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 3. Paul says, since I am speaking to those who know the law, brothers and sisters. Now he's talking particularly to the Jews. He says, don't you know that the law rules over someone as long as he lives? For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law regarding the husband. So then as she married, so if, if she is married to another man while her husband is living, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. Then if she is married to another man, she is not and adulterers. Here is an interesting passage. Paul is particularly talking uh, to people who are Jewish because he says, I know that I'm speaking to those who know the law, okay? And, and so they were familiar with God's law, uh, written down at Mount Sinai and passed down through all the different generations. And so he says, the law is like having a husband, okay? Now, I, I'm, a, I'm a husband, so I like to think that that's a good thing, you know, that the law is like having a, a, a husband. Um, and now, even if that my, my wife right now, if, if she were to go and to be with another man, I, I don't know why, she's got it great right now, what she got. But anyway, if she were to go be with another man, that would be cheating and it would be wrong to do so. I think we would all agree about that. If she were to leave me for another man, then that would be wrong. However, if I die, and then later on she becomes married to another man, it's not wrong at all, is it? It's not wrong, it's not wrong at all. It's perfectly valid and it's perfectly acceptable. And this is how the Apostle Paul compares living according to the Old Testament laws and rules. The Old Testament laws and rules are a good husband, if you will, okay? It's the first husband. But now, having Christ die on the cross, be resurrected from the dead, Christ Forgiveness and freedom is like having a new husband. And so if you've got your notes, I want you to understand this. Go ahead and pull those notes out. Just very basically, I want you to understand that your Bible is divided into two sections. Now, I'm pretty sure most of y'all knew this, but let's just, take a, let's just take a moment to examine it just a little bit deeper. So you in the, the, the first section of your Bible, you know this, is called the Old Testament. Write this down. It literally means Old Covenant. Old Covenant. And, and here's what I want you to understand as we kind of walk through this. God is all about relationship. He is all about relationship. Now here's what I want you to think about. You have different types of relationships in your life. You have acquaintances. Then you have 
a few, you know, friends that might be, you know, they're not super close, but you know who they are. Maybe they're Facebook friends, all right? Maybe that's uh, that whole thing, all right? And then, and then you've got your close friends, okay? Ones that you can really share your heart with. Then you've got your family, that kind of that, that inner circle. And then some of you even have even closer relationships with the person that you have married. Now, here's what happens. As a relationship gets closer, and as it gets tighter and more intimate, there are more parameters which are put on that relationship. Let me give you a great example. A lot of people that get married just think, oh, well, this is the next step. You know, we've been, you know, whatever you want to call it. Oh, we're talking. Okay, so we go from talking to being boyfriend and girlfriend. You know, maybe that lasts for a little while. And then we go into the engagement stage. And then that lasts for a little while. And then we go into marriage. And so sometimes we just think of it as one step, one step, one step, and the next step in the process. But here's the deal. Here's what we see biblically. Anytime a relationship wants to get closer together, there are parameters, particularly covenants that come together. And so what you may not realize is that marriage... The closest relationship that you can get to between a man and a woman has a marriage, okay? There is a covenant. So whether you went to the justice of the peace and you just, you know, you had your, uh, your marriage right there and he read some things and you read some things, or whether you had the biggest wedding that's known to man and paid thousands and thousands of dollars, regardless, there is a covenant ceremony that takes place. And so in the Old Testament, God wants to be intimate with his people. He doesn't want to be far. And so what does he do? He develops a covenant of closeness coming together uh, where he brings out the Old Testament law. And so uh, you first begin to see the covenant that God would raise with his own people. You see it in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They would later become the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was in, um, was in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And after those 400 years, God brings them out. And notice... God does not bring the people of Israel straight out of Egypt and just take them directly into the promised land. Notice that. When, he was, when Moses kept going to Pharaoh over and over again, he didn't say, let us go so we can go to the promised land. You remember what he says? He says, let us go so that we can worship in the desert. That's what he says over and over, time and time again. And so what happens is he brings the nation of Israel out into the desert almost to have a marriage ceremony, if you will, at Mount Sinai, okay? And so here's what I want us to see. So they're there, and at Mount Sinai, he gives them the law. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them the sacrificial system. He gives them all these festivals and all other kinds of laws that would guide their society before they go into the Promised Land. And all of this was about relationship. He wanted to be close to them. So if you've got your notes, I want to talk a little bit about what this covenant looked like. The result of this covenant, although it was all about relationship, but the result of it was, if you do good, you will receive blessing. If you do good, you'll receive blessing. I mean, let's just talk about this. In a marriage relationship, if you're good to one another, it's a blessing. If, it's not, if you're not good to one another, it does not feel good at all, okay? And so in that relationship with God, if you do good, you'll receive a blessing. Now, second thing, though, if you do bad, this is part of it, not keeping his law, not keeping his commandments, he said that you will receive God's punishment. We don't like that. 
But that's the reality of having a good father. A good father coming into relationship with his people is a blessing. But a good father also corrects. A father who does not correct in the appropriate way, but a father who does not correct and does not discipline is, is really an, an absent father. And so here, what you have here is brings about punishment. And so you can kind of see some of these things. Like if you go to the book of Joshua, book of Joshua, they're going into the promised land. They're doing what God wants them to do for the most part. And God is bringing about blessing. Then if you've ever read through your Bible, read through the Old Testament, you get into the book of Judges. And oh my goodness, this circular thing of, uh, man, they don't follow God's, God's law. They break the relationship with him. He allows them to be conquered by their enemies. And it's just this cycle over and over and over. So you can see that take place even in something as small as the book Joshua and the book that follows right after the book of Judges, okay? And then here's what I want you to see. The next thing that you've got in your notes, the next section of your Bible is the New Testament, literally New Covenant. So here's what I want you to think. Based on what the Apostle Paul just said in Romans chapter 7, I want you to think of the old covenant that I just talked about as the old husband. The old husband. And the new covenant is the new husband, okay? And here's, here's the reality. And this is what I love about the new covenant, okay? Write this down. You can't do good. You can't. You can try as hard as you can. You can white knuckle it through your spiritual life and you can try to do as good. But we just talked about how God is a perfect father and none of us in here are perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But the reality is none of us can do good. But write this down. But Christ did it for you. That's the whole reason why Jesus had to go. Jesus didn't just come to earth at a later age. He didn't just come to earth for like three days and die and then go ascend back into heaven. Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life from birth through adulthood. Why did he do that? Why did Jesus live that perfect life? It's because he was the one that had to do it. Uh, he was the one that had to reveal that it could be done and it can only be done by God. We find in our own lives that no one keeps God's covenant perfectly. You study characters in the Old Testament. I, I love character studies in the Old Testament. I love stories like Noah and Abraham and Moses, Daniel, you know. Um, I, I, love, I love a lot of those stories. Think of David, think of Solomon. But the reality is when we study those characters, if you really read the whole life, of all of those characters, we make them out to be heroes. But the reality is, they're all flawed. Have you noticed this? Any of those stories, they all have flaws. And while we can emulate the good attributes of those characters, we can't say, I want to be just like David. Because we know what happened with David. We can't say, well, I want to be just like Noah. You do know after Noah got off the ark, he got wasted and naked. You know, his kids had to cover him up. It was weird, all right? It's weird. Go look it up. Abraham told his wife, don't, don't tell anybody you're my wife. Tell everybody you're my sister. Moses, as much as Moses will be looking at, you know, I love the story of Moses. But, but Moses even had these moments of frustration. We see that, that he killed an Egyptian 
early on. And then later on, he wasn't able to go into the promised land because he disobeyed God. Instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock. And I don't want to take too much of a tangent, but here's the thing that I want you to understand is when you get into the story of, of, of Moses, old covenant, old husband, is you can see that the closer you get to God, let me tell you, Moses saw God. He was close. He was close to God. The closer you get to God, it, it seems like the repercussions of your sin are that much more drastic. I don't know if you see that in Scripture, but I, but I certainly do. So after seeing all these flawed characters, the only person that we can say, I want to be just like him, is Jesus Christ. And so here's what I want you to see. Got your notes. So Romans teaches us, we saw this uh, two weeks ago. Romans teaches us that not only have we died to our sin, we talked about that. You've got a sin nature and that you have died to your sin. Daily, we have to wake up and, and die to our sin. But not only have we died to our sin, what we're going to really pick apart today in verses 4 through 6 is that we have also died to the Old Testament law. The old husband, Mount Sinai. Let's, let's pick it apart a little bit. Look with me in verses uh, 4 through 6. Therefore, my brothers and sisters... You also were put to death in relationship to the law. Do you see it? Dead to the law, right there. Through, ah, who's the new husband? Through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit. We talked a little bit about that last week. That in order for you to bear fruit, you have to be united with Christ for God. Verse five, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. Now, let's talk a little bit about what's going on. The Old Testament law, let's just pick it apart just a little bit. The Old Testament law had things in it like kosher foods you know no pork no rabbits no bats all right none of that stuff all right so you had all of that it had rules like I get I get asked this question all the time pastor Dan is it wrong or sinful for you know to to have a tattoo I get that question from time to time is it a sin and and nowadays if you feel the need to express your identity that way you can Little words of wisdom. It's hard to find a job. This is me, pastor, again, being a father to you, it's hard to find a job if you put one on your face or on your neck. I'm just going to put that out there, all right? All right? But tattoos, even in the Old Testament, I mean, why, you know, people bring this stuff up. They bring it up all the time. And I want you to be equipped and understand what's going on. That's with the old husband. That's with the Old Testament law. And, and part of the reason was is because tattoos were, were related to idol worship back then. And, and so I would just say, you know, if you're wanting to do any type of missions, maybe in Africa or India, that you perhaps might want to refrain from something like that. But here's what drives me nuts. It drives me nuts when people try to disprove the Bible, okay, with some of the harsh Old Testament laws, 
Uh, some people will pick out the death penalties. That there's, you, you would get the death penalty for working on the Sabbath day. And they go, that seems really harsh for a good, loving God to do. And so they try to disprove the Bible by picking out these Old Testament laws. Let, let us understand that those laws were designed for a theocracy. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Okay, a theocracy where God is king. So those laws were set up not only to be a, a spiritual navigator, but they were also set up for the community in general, okay? So God is king, and they were community rules, community laws, okay? And, and my, why would that happen? Why would that take place? Well, here's what I want you to write down. So God's law, God's law, as we're picking this apart, is for our protection, is for our protection. Let's look at verse seven right here real quick. It says, what should we say then? Is the law sin? Again, it's an old husband, but it's still a good husband, okay? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is uh, to covet if the law had said, do not covet. And sin Seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me a coveting of every kind. Now check this out. Don't miss this. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but then the commandment sprang to life again and I died. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. Okay, let's stop right there and just kind of hang out. So let's understand what, it, what it's talking about here. It's talking about how where there is a command, there is the opportunity to break that command. Let me give you a great example. This will help you out, I promise, because we live in New Orleans and there are schools everywhere, okay? And where there are schools everywhere, there are school zones everywhere. You know what I'm talking about? And sometimes, especially if you haven't driven through that area before or maybe in a long time, you might even forget where that school zone is, okay? And here's the deal. When you go through a school zone, what is there to let you know there is a school zone? There is a sign, and there's probably a camera close by too, okay? But there's usually, there's that sign to let you know this is a school zone, okay? And so, as you get close to that sign, if you do what I do, you kind of push a little bit on your brake, and then what comes after that school zone? Another sign that says end of school zone, letting you know that you are past that. Now, why did I bring that up? Is because the Old Testament law is like those school zone signs. If, if the school zone sign wasn't there and you sped through it, then you could argue your point. I don't know, Mr. Riggs, maybe I could, but I'm thinking you could argue your point. I, I don't know, he might tell me later. But you could argue your point, there was no sign, so I did not know that I was breaking the law. Does that make sense? That's the way the Old Testament law works. It, God gave it to them as a sign so they would know if they were breaking his law. But here's what it says. Where there is no law, there is no sin. Does that make sense? Because you don't know if you're breaking it. And so that's what I want you to kind of understand. And so when I talk about this being for your protection, when we get in there in verse 10, okay, it says that I died and the commandment that was meant to bring life resulted in death for me. We talked about things like in the Old Testament, 
about things like kosher foods. Well, nowadays, because of modern technology, I mean, we know this, that many of those animals carry parasites, okay? And so we understand that it was meant for their protection. Your waiter may come to you and ask you how you want your steak done, and you say medium rare, but your waiter will not come to you and say, how do you want your pork done? Does that make sense? Because we understand where God was coming from in protecting his people. But not only are God's laws a protection from things like our environment, okay? God's law, this is going to change your life here today. I'm telling you, this is going to change your life. God's law is also a protection from God himself. Now, what do you mean by that, Pastor Dan? Let's, Let's break this apart. Let me explain. Most of the laws dealt in the Old Testament with being clean and unclean and how to be holy in God's sight. And so the more consecrated and holy you were, the closer to God you could be. God has always, look at me, God has always been not motivated by the rules God has always been motivated by the relationship. God wants to be close to his people. But getting close to God is like getting close to the sun in outer space. Now, if you're out in the sun too long, it's summertime, if you're out in the sun too long, your skin might get, you might go outside and your skin might get burned. Some of y'all are easily burned, more, some more than others. And so when you go outside into the sun, what must you do? You have to put on some form of protection, right? You've got to put on some form of protection. Now, imagine this. Now, let's take it one step further. You get into a rocket ship and you're going to head towards maybe some planets that are closer to the sun or maybe the sun itself. Now, if you go outside of our atmosphere, you had better have some protection from the heat. You, and, and even if you go out and you're getting closer and closer and closer with all the protection in the world, okay, You might last for a little while, but after a while, you're going to be obliterated, okay? You can't get that close to the sun. And here's what I want you to understand. Purity is our protection. Let let me me just, can I just break this apart for you? This is so good. I hope that that this just changes your life today. Let's talk about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had purity in one of the most pure forms that it came. They could, they did not sin because they didn't know The knowledge between good and evil. They didn't have the the signs, if you will. And so what happens with Adam and Eve? What is the closeness in relationship that they have with God? It says that they walked with God in the cool of the day. Purity was their protection and they were able to get close to God. Well, Adam and Eve, they sin. They're cast out of the garden, okay? And now people are not able to get close to God because of, of that sin nature that's been passed down. Then what we talked about earlier, Mount Sinai. Catch this. Don't miss this. God is on the top of the mountain. He will only speak with Moses, okay? And even during that time, he tells, he tells the people, I am going to come on the top of the mountain. And when I come, go consecrate yourself 
But whatever you do, don't you dare touch that mountain. Because he said, if you touch that mountain, then you're gonna be stoned and you're going to die. And so there's this idea, you can only come so close to God. But here's the thing, God wasn't satisfied with being on the top of the mountain. He wasn't satisfied, get that. Get that, God wasn't satisfied. He wants to be close to his people, not, not even a mountain view away. He wanted to be close. He wanted to be amongst the people and so that's why he gives Moses the instructions for the tabernacle. I wanna be down there with you, but in order for me to be down there with you in close proximity, in close relationship with you, we've got to put some rules and standards into place and that's why the law came into place. And so the closer, remember, the closer you get to God, the same way, the closer you get to the sun, you need to have protection. The protection was the law. And so if you apply not sunscreen, but the law to your life, particularly in the Old Testament, old husband, you can get closer to God. And yet, here's what I want you to write, write down next. And yet, God's law also brings about devastation. It brings about devastation. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Dan? Look with me. Let's just read verses uh, 10 and 11 one more time. It says, the commandment that was meant for life, life, first husband, it was meant for life, resulted in death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, check this out, deceived me and through it killed me. Can I give you an example? Uh, back when I was 16 years old, it was a wet day and I was going down a hill and I was actually in my dad's car and uh, taking a girl out. We had a, you know, a fun time. And, and anyways, we were coming home. It was a wet day. We we're coming down a hill and I hit the brakes uh, real quick and the car spun around and we ran off the road and I, and I hit a driveway backwards. In the midst of that, maybe you've been in this situation, uh, the airbag deployed. And while I had my seatbelt on, by the grace of God, nothing happened to me, nothing happened to my, my girlfriend at the time, but the car was damaged, the car was totaled, but I was fine with the exception of where that airbag deployed. Now I hit this thing backwards, I didn't hit it forward, but it was meant, the same thing, that airbag, which was meant for my protection actually became the thing that hurt me. Had, you know, things, burns all up and down my, my neck after that had, after that had taken place. It, it's kind of the same way. That's kind of what it's talking about here in verses 10 and 11. The, the commandment, it's meant good for you. It's meant to be for your protection. But because of it, when sin comes into play, it seizes the opportunity, it deceives you, and it kills you. So it doesn't just hurt you, it kills you, okay? And so the law, unfortunately for all of us, it's impossible to keep. And if you can't keep God's law, you can't get close to God. And that's what's so amazing about Jesus' death on the cross and the fact that we have died to the law. Do you remember what happened when Jesus said it is finished on the cross? Do you remember what happened? Matthew chapter 27 verses 50 and 51 tells us that when Jesus is up there on the cross, he, he, he cries out in a loud voice, says that he, that he gave up his spirit. And then listen to this. It says what happened next is that the veil of the temple 
tore from top to bottom. Now, why is that so significant? Because that veil covered where the presence of God was supposed to be manifested in the Holy of Holies. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be. That's where the presence, the, the closest person to God, the high priest, on the closest day that you could get to God, which would be the Day of Atonement, would go in there. I mean, close proximity, all that. But now Jesus dies, the law dies, and the veil is torn from top to bottom. So now God isn't just amongst his people. Now, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and the resurrection, now he's not just amongst you. New covenant, new husband. Now he is inside of you. Do you see it? From the Old Testament, top of the mountain to the bottom of the mountain to the Holy of Holies, now he's inside of you. That is close because he wants to be in that close relationship with you. So the presence of God can be close to us and inside of us. So, Pastor Dan, why? If God is inside me, I mean, if I am a temple, the Bible says you're a temple for the Holy Spirit. His presence is inside you. Why is it so hard to live for God? Why? And, and here's what I want you to write down. First thing is you have a sin nature. Look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. The problem of sin is in us. It says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. Sold as a slave to sin. We talked about all about that last week. For I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Look at verse 16. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it's good. I agree with the law that it's good. And so here's what I, I want you to understand. All of human beings since Adam and Eve, at the, uh, after they ate of the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, have been, we have a bent towards sin and selfishness, like a hereditary disease. It has been passed down to every single person throughout history. You didn't ask for it. You didn't ask for a sin nature, but you got one. And that's where the good news comes in. Okay, the next thing that I want you to write down that even if you have been saved by Christ, even if you've been saved, you're a Christian in the room, the desire to do evil is in you. I mean, let's not deny it. We all are tempted to sin and we all give in to sin. The desire to do evil is in you. Oh, but praise God, write this down. But it does not define you. Remember what we talked about being in a state of sin and a state of grace? Before you come to know Christ, your sin does define you. After you come to Christ, it's in you, but it doesn't define you. Look with me in verse 17. Verse 17 says this, so now I am no longer the one doing it. Do you see it? I'm no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. It's inside you. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. That's, that flesh sometimes is a synonym for sin nature. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. 
goes on in verse 19, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. So now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one who does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. Now, I know that that can be very confusing, so let me just kind of explain this the way one, one commentator said it this way. It says, our sin nature was like a factory that produced unrighteousness, evil, and sin. And when we came to Christ in God, God shut down the factory and that solved the problem of future production from our old sin nature but it didn't address what was already produced existing sin from the factory still lingers in our flesh and so the apostle Paul says I know what I want to do the apostle Paul says I want to live for God with all my heart but why do I keep doing these other things, why do, why do the desires in my flesh, why do they sometimes trump? He says, I, I do what I don't want to do. And, and, then, and then I don't do what I do want to do. I do want to live for God. And so here's what I want you to say. So the Apostle Paul hangs on to this. Write this down. You are at war with yourself. With yourself. Look, look, at, look with me in, in verse 21. In verse 21 it says, So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law. He says, I delight in it. I love it. It brings about protection so I get close to him. But I see a different law in the parts of my body. Don't miss that. Body. Now look at this. Waging war. Do you see those terms? Waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to do the law of sin in the parts of my body. So what's the best way to describe what we just read right there? Write this down. It is desire versus discernment. It's desire versus discernment. It's your desires. Why do you sin? Because you want to. You have that desire, you have that bent, and you know that you've been in that place. I have too, where in the back of your mind, that discernment is going off. Don't do this. Don't do this. You know that you shouldn't do this. God, you know, this is not living according to God's law. This is not living according to God's purpose and his plan for your life. Don't do this. And so you have this desire, which is your flesh, it's your body, okay? And it's versus that discernment, which is in your mind. And so God's law, we've talked about this before, but I just want to bring it up one more time. God's law, Old Testament law, works like a mirror. It, it reveals the flaws in your life. When I look in the mirror, sometimes I see a little speck of something right there. Maybe you've looked in the mirror, teenagers here in the room, you got that zit on your face, you know? You don't like that. You don't like that mirror sometimes because it reveals things in you that you don't like. That's how the law of the, that's how the law works, okay? But you don't wash your face with the mirror. You wash your face in the sink. You don't wash yourself, your sin, with God's law. You, you see the blemishes with it, but you have to be washed in the blood of Christ. Does that make sense? You following my thinking? And so it's like two MMA fighters who are exchanging blows. You've got an octagon inside of you, and one fighter is your flesh, fueled by your desires. The other fighter is your righteous nature, which is discerning, and it knows what is right and what's wrong. And the Apostle Paul says, why does the fighter called my flesh constantly beat up my righteous nature? I don't want to be this person. I don't want 
that nature to win. And so this brings us to the best place to be. The very best place to be. Don't miss this. You gotta get desperate. You gotta get desperate. Verse 24, verse 24 says this. What, this is Paul talking, looking at himself. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body? There it is again, the desires. This body of death. Desperation is the best place to be. I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't trust I don't trust any Christian who hasn't been to that place of desperation. I don't trust their salvation. I'll be honest with you. You might think, well, Dan, that's, that's stingy. I know people who are like, well, I've been a Christian my, my whole life. I grew up in a Christian home. I've gone, you know, I've gone to church a, a good bit. Bro, you got to get what Paul is talking about right here. If you don't get saved from your sin, you're going to be separated from God. You are going to hell. And you can't get close to the, to the sun, S-U-N, without being covered in the proper form of protection. And you can't get close to the sun, S-O-N without having been covered by the protection of the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you following me? So the problem is you are desperate. Everything inside of you, your desires, don't want God to be the master of your life. Everything inside of you wants you to be the master of your life. And that is an entirely hopeless situation. And that's why Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? The good thing that we have here, don't miss this. Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. You've got to step out and take the hand of Jesus to save you from those sins. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week, but I want to finish our time together. There's a, there's a, a story of a tightrope walker. Some of y'all may know this story before all of our time in here today, whose name was Blondin. Have you ever heard of this? This guy named Blondin. He was a tightrope walker. And... Uh, Back in 1859, a crowd gathered to watch Blondin. I don't have a picture. I should have gotten a picture for you, but they, they imagine in your mind, a crowd gathered to watch him to attempt to walk over deadly Niagara Falls. There was this tension. Can you imagine? He walks out on the rope over Niagara Falls, and he walks all the way across. And he walks all the way back. And as soon as he, get back, he gets back, the, the historians tell us that the crowd just went crazy. They went nuts. They, they were cheering as they watched him walk out and turn and come right back. And so he looks at the crowd with this great, you know, expression of entertainment and looks at them. And he says, and he asks the crowd, how many of you believe that I can walk to the other side and back while pushing a wheelbarrow? Remember, it's a rope. Okay. And so the crowd goes crazy. And so he goes out and he's got this wheelbarrow and he goes across the rope again and he comes back. And when he comes back this time, 
He, he, you know, everyone's just, man, oh, I can't. Now he, did, he didn't do it just once. He did it twice now. And then he looks at all of them and he says, he says, now, how many of you think that I can push a person in this wheelbarrow? Well, they go crazy because they think, yeah, yeah, he's already done this. Twice. Yeah, he can push a person in this. You know what I'm about to say. He looked right back at them and he said, who's going to be the person? And everything fell silent. And why did I tell you that story? It's because a lot of us know what I just talked about cognitively. We know it cognitively. We know that Jesus went to the cross. We know that he died for our sins. We know that he was raised from the dead. We know those things. But let me tell you something. If you're desperate enough, if you're desperate enough to get to the other side, one side is your sin, your death, spiritual sin, hell, all of that. And if you can see just how desperate you are to get to the other side, then you will say, yes, I will get in your wheelbarrow, Jesus. I will put my faith in you. I trust you to take me from one side of this life to the other. I'm surrendering my will to you. And even though I don't know what's gonna happen throughout the journey, but I believe that you can take me to the other side. Are you desperate enough to get in Jesus's wheelbarrow.